just take a few minutes to reflect about uh, how do we kind of get cleaned up as we go into a new year. And one of the things that um, uh, I've become really aware of for, for me, and I, I, I talk to so many people, is this um, uh, is, is an issue of guilt. Years ago, there was a guy, and he was in a mental institution in America, and and he was huddled in the corner, and he says, get him away from me, get him away from me, get him away from me. And, and they went in, and they were trying to figure out what was going on with this guy. And, and it turned out that he had flown the lead plane over Hiroshima that had dropped the bomb. And he had such guilt that he had this feeling that there was uh, all these Japanese people that were trying to kill him. And he was saying, get him away from me, get away from me, this this this." The, the diagnosis was unresolved guilt. Now, the way that you deal with guilt today, you could do one of a couple things. I guess one thing you could do is you could punish yourself for it. Uh, the other thing you could do is you could ignore it. <laughs> and and uh, uh, one of the other things you could do is you could probably turn to other ways of dealing with that guilt to get rid of those guilt feelings, which many people do as well. You know, it's really interesting to me is you take two significant people in the Bible. One is uh, uh, not significant in terms of our understanding of them is Judas, and one is the Apostle Peter. Uh, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and he's sorry that he did it. He regrets it. And he goes and he tries to take that 30 pieces of silver back to give it back to the, the religious leaders. And, 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 and what do they do? They laugh at him. And so he throws the money at their feet and he, and he runs out and he says, how will people know that I'm sorry for what I've done? And he went and hanged himself. There's nobody in this room who's been more sorry for anything they've ever done in their life than Judas was. And then you got the Apostle Peter. Peter says, if everybody else deserts you, I would die first. And Jesus says, Peter, the truth is, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And the next morning, er, 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 and Peter denies Christ. And there's nobody in this room who's felt more sorry than Peter felt for his betrayal of denial of Christ. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Does God stand up in heaven and go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo? I think today I'll forgive. No. Peter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The difference is that Peter receives the forgiveness that comes from God. And Judas punishes himself for it. Now, I want us to look at a prayer of confession as we get ready to come to the table today. And it, it, it's a, a David's prayer of confession. Let me just set it up for you really quickly. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you know, David is the king of Israel. His troops are out fighting. He probably should have been out there with them. He's taking his evening walk, and as he's up on the balcony, he sees this lady taking a bath. Her name is Sheba, and that's why she got the nickname Bathsheba. And so, uh, so anyway, they, you know, he... She was a 10, 
And so he summons her to his chamber. She's married to a guy by the name of Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Isn't that interesting that here's a guy from another country who is so loyal to King David of Israel that he's fighting for a different nation than he even was raised in. And he's, he's serving King David. And so Bathsheba gets pregnant. Now, if you'd said to David at 6 o'clock in the morning, tonight you'll commit adultery, he would have said no way, because the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. But now a Watergate takes place in his life. There's a cover-up that's taking place. He has to cover up his sin somehow. And so he sends for Uriah to come back from the battle, thinking that any guy who's been out with the troops is going to want to sleep with his wife, and it would cover up the pregnancy. But, you know, there was a, a kind of an oath that the Israeli soldiers took that while their whole battalion was out of war, they would not sleep with their wives unless the whole battalion came back. So he spent the night with the palace guard. So David realizes that he hadn't gone back to his wife, so he says, stay another day. And he has a little party and tries to get him a little inebriated, thinking that might help. And so then he sends a letter back to the commander and says, I want you to put Uriah right into the heat of the battle and then withdraw the rest of the troops. So Uriah is killed. And now David has this major cover-up, not only adultery, but now murder. And he looks so noble taking Bathsheba in to be his wife. Well, the guilt is just overwhelming for him. And so in Psalm 32, if you want to turn there, it's page 386. We're, really, we're going to Psalm 51 in a second. But I just want to show you what the consequences of this was. In verse 3, he says, When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as the heat of summer. So he says sin has made him physically sick. It's made him feel dirty, and he wants to be clean. It's broken his relationship with God, and he wants to be restored. And so now turn over a couple pages to Psalm 51. It's on page 395. And now we pick up David's prayer of confession. And I think it's a great model for us to use really quickly as we come and get kind of experience God's forgiveness. We have to have a right view of sin, a right view of God, and a right view of others. And so David starts out and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. I think I've mentioned to you before, the difference between grace and mercy is that mercy is when God withholds from you that which you really deserve. And grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. And if you were to pray a prayer of confession, you'd never go to God and say, Oh God, deal justly with me. Because if God dealt justly with you, what would happen? Dun-dun-dun-dun. dun You know, it would be like the Jolly Green Giant and Sprout, you know. Ho, 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 meat sauce, you know, uh, you, you, the, the, the wages of sin is death, you know. And so the very fact that David appeals to God's mercy is that he, he admits that he is a sinner. And he appeals to God's mercy. And then he says, according to your unfailing love, would you, would you blot out my transgressions? You know, when you cross out something, you can still see what was written there. But when you blot it out, you can't even recognize what had been there in the first place. You know, David just, he says, God, would you wipe the slate clean here? You know. And then he says, wash me, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, you know, you all know this verse. You might not know the address. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to, do you know what the what next word is? Cleanse. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And so David says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then he says in verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know, uh, just a quick comment. I, I, uh, there's, there's several words in the Greek for sin. And I, I, just to, to, to review really quickly, one is to slip and fall. The implication is you get up in the morning, you walk outside, you slip on a banana peel, you didn't plan it, you didn't premeditate it, you didn't want to do it, but you did it. And I would wager to say that for most of us in this room, that's the kind of sin that we most commit. I don't think there's anybody in this room who gets up in the morning and says, I can't wait to get into a nice, juicy sin. Oh boy, what am I doing? You know, what can... No, we don't, we don't plan it, we don't premeditate it, we don't want to do it, but we slip and fall. The other word is translated, and sometimes you hear this when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When somebody posts a sign that says no trespassing, it means you don't step onto that property. And the literal translation is to step across the line. So what happens is we don't want to live on that side of the line. We just like to visit it. <laughs> you know. So we hop over and hop back. See, And so that's one one translation of sin, to trespass, to step across the line. The third word is from James where it says, this lawlessness. And this is where you look God right in the face. You say, God, I know exactly what you want me to do, and pooey on you, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's a blatant disregard for what God would have for your life. And the fourth word is translated debt. We say this sometimes in one of the translations of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, every time you slip and fall, every time you step across the line, every time you are lawless, you put another brick in the wall that puts a separation between you and God. It's kind of like having a credit card. You charge and you charge and you charge. But the bill will always come. I remember years ago hearing a cute story about a guy who jumped out of the Sears Tower in Chicago. And he's going past the 67th floor and he goes, hey, so far so good. (laughs) And that's how a lot of people are living their life. So far so good. But they don't realize there's a debt that's coming. A sidewalk. The fifth word is translated. We get this from Romans. All have sinned. All have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. It was an expression that was used for archers in the first century. Some guy would whip out an arrow and he'd shoot in a pheasant and he'd miss and his partner would say, you sinned. What do you mean I sinned? Well, you were shooting for the pheasant, were you? Yes. Did you hit it? No. Then you sinned. You missed the mark. And so if you've never slipped and fallen, if you've never stepped across the line, if you've never been lawless, if you've never accumulated any moral debt, surely you've missed the mark of being all that God intended you to be. You say, well, what was God's intention? The Bible says, be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So so we've all missed the mark. So join the human race. You know, I had a friend who was perfect. One time I had to give him up for Lent. But, but, you know, that's the point, is we all are in this predicament. So David says, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You say, wait a second, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? And didn't he sin against Uriah? Yes, he did. But God holds himself responsible for all of his creation. And every time you violate somebody else, you violate God. I think you can make a theology of ecology off of this, by the way. 
Every time you roll down the window and throw a pop can out in the freeway, you violate God's creation. You know? But God holds himself responsible for what he has created. And he's created us. I used to have a, a neighbor named Mr. Nelson. And he had a little cockapoo, and he used to do a lot of cockapooing on our lawn. But uh, uh, one day, Coco was his, the dog's name, got into our hefty uh Trash can bags, which weren't supposed to be breakable, but anyway, and it, and it was garbage all over my driveway. And there was Coco, and I wanted to go up and kick a field goal <laughs> with Coco right at that moment, you know. And as I looked up, there was Mr. Nelson looking out his kitchen window. Now, if I kick Coco, who have I kicked? <laughs> Mr. Nelson loves that dog so much. He watches him all the time. He cares for him. He, he has him in his his lap all the time. He's watching TV. When you violate something of somebody else's, you violated them. And so David says, God, I know against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're right when you, in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. I want to tell you what a common problem is for a lot of us is we tend to rationalize our sin. So David could have said, now God... You know I take a walk at 9.30 every night up on my balcony. And you know what naked women do to me. Why in the world did you have to have her taking her bath when I'm taking my walk? Now who's responsible for a sin? It's not David. It's God. And what David is saying, by taking total responsibility for his sin here, he's saying, God, if I'm not guilty, then if you're guilty of this, then you can't judge me. But if I take responsibility for it and say, this is my sin, then you're right when you judge. And now he closes this part of saying, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Uh, it almost sounds like he's copying out, doesn't it? Like, well, after all, I'm only human. Well, that's the point. David is not stupid enough to pray a prayer that goes, God, if you forgive me this time, I'll never, ever, ever sin again. Because <laughs> he knows he's human and he will. He's saying, God, I'm, I'm sinful from birth. This is, this is who we are. We inherited this, this disease. You know, we've all got it. And so he says, God, I, I know where it comes from. So he has a right view of sin. First of all, it deserves punishment. It appeals to God's mercy. It demands cleansing. It accepts total responsibility. And it proceeds from our nature. But now we kind of get a little twist in his prayer of confession to get a right of view of God. Because look what he says. He says, you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. He's basically saying, God, you know, you don't care how many books I have in my Christian bookshelf. You don't care how many times I go to some special meeting or something like that. What you want to know is what's going on in the inside of my life that would cause me to live that way on the outside. You know, yes, murder's wrong. Yes, adultery's wrong. But what in the Sam Hill, David, is going on on the inside of your life that would cause you to live that way on the outside of your life? And so what David is saying is, God, that's where you desire truth in my inward most being. And then he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean and wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop, by the way, is like a tumbleweed in, in, in Texas. It, it was 
when the priest used to sprinkle blood onto the altar, they used hyssop. It was it was like it looked like a paintbrush a little bit. And when the children of Israel were putting the blood on the doorpost before the angel of death came over the night before they, they fled from Egypt, you'll remember that it was hyssop that they used to put that blood on. And so symbolically, what David is saying here is, God, if you would cleanse me with hyssop. David understands a principle that's pretty important. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so he says, if you will sprinkle me or cleanse me with hyssop, I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, when I was single, we used to make a lot of casseroles, these three guys I live with. And uh, our oven, if you ever saw it, it was just a mess. Until we discovered this product called Easy Off. It was amazing. You could spray it in the oven at night, go to bed. The next morning you wake up, you take a wet sponge, whoosh, 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 and it was completely clean. Now, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but God is a lot like Easy Off. He has the power to make us clean. It doesn't guarantee that there won't be a grime buildup later on that I'm going to have to get cleaned again. One time a college student said to me at a meeting I was speaking at, she said, do you think that God can forgive me? I said, the point of the matter is he already has. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. <laughs> you know, He has paid the penalty for that sin, but he has the power to cleanse us. And so David has a right view of God. He wants truth in the inwardmost part, and he does have the power to forgive us and to make us clean. And then he says, uh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you crushed rejoice. Oh, man, I, I struggle with that until I read a little book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Uh, by the way, he's written a couple others. A gardener looks at the fruit of the Spirit. I thought about writing a couple like a waitress looks at the feeding of the 5,000 or a lawyer looks at the Ten Commandments, you know. But, uh, but evidently what happened in the old days when a shepherd was out there and there was a little lamb that would continually run away, they would take the front leg of that lamb and they would intentionally dislocate it. And then they would reset it. And that lamb couldn't walk for several weeks. And so what would happen is the shepherd would put the lamb over his shoulders. And we've all seen pictures, haven't we, of the shepherd with the lamb over his shoulders because he's carrying him out to the field in the morning and then he's bringing him back to the pen at night. Back and forth and back and forth, that little lamb would just have to sit there by the shepherd's feet during the day. And by the time that dislocated leg had healed, that lamb was so indebted to the shepherd for carrying him back and forth that he was the one lamb that never wandered off again. He was right on the heels of the shepherd. And so David, the shepherd boy, now king of Israel, says, God, I had wandered off and you broke my leg not literally, but symbolically. You chastised me. You spanked me. And, I, and now, I'm not wandering off again. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. And then he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I, I think I probably pray verse 10 of Psalm 51 about 20 times a month. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And one translation says, sustain me with a willing spirit. Make my, my need to a want to. You know. 
And then he says, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Hey, he doesn't say restore the joy of my salvation. He says restore the joy of your salvation. And so one of the things is, as we come to the table now, I want us to have a right view of sin, of why we would need this table. But I also want us to have a right view of God. And I'd like us to be able to start 2012 with restoring the joy of our salvation. Then, look what he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your praises. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. He's basically saying, God, now that I've experienced your forgiveness, I, I want to tell other people about it. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily like bumper stickers, but they're probably cliches or cliches because they're true. But there's one bumper sticker I really agree with that says, Christians aren't perfect, they're forgiven. And what I love about that is this, that we, it's like the woman at the well. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I did. She, now that she's experienced this, she just wants to tell others. It's kind of like doing the T-berry shuffle, you know. Uh, oh, Lord, open my lips. Have you ever noticed that you get locked jaw when there's sin in your life? How can you tell other people about the forgiveness of God if you're harboring sin in your own life? <laughs> you know, it's very hard. And so when David experiences God's cleansing forgiveness, now he just, oh, Lord, open my lips that they might declare your praise. I personally think... Uh, He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. I personally think the psalm should end right there. And then he throws in these last two verses that for years I couldn't figure it out. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in sacrifices, the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He just got done saying you don't delight in sacrifice, but in a broken and contrite heart. And now he says now bulls are going to be offered on your altar. I don't get why he's doing that. I'll tell you why. Because when you have a right view of sin, and you have a right view of God, Now you stop thinking about yourself, and you start thinking about others. And the last two verses of David's psalm are actually a prayer for others. He says, oh, Lord, may it please you to prosper Jerusalem and build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then they'll start worshiping you. And and now, when you're you're harboring sin, you're me-focused, but when you experience God's forgiveness, you become other-focused. And now he's praying for others and wanting others to find this forgiveness and, and, and sustained joy. And so that's David's psalm. Now let's turn back to where we started, Psalm 32, verse 3. Remember what he said, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as the heat of summer. But now let's start at the beginning of that psalm real quick. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And drop down to verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you 
and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, it's not just the sin, but it's the guilt of the sin that is what gets us. Oops, my page turned. He says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place, and you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go, and I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And, the, and so uh, David now has this, comes full circle with this forgiveness from his sin. So that's where I thought was a good place for us to start the new year. And a good place for us to come to the table, too. That uh, we could use David's model of confession as a model for us. Have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me. I take responsibility for what I've done in 2011. I've, in some respects, maybe experienced your chastising, broken bones. And I want my bones to rejoice. I'm not wandering off again. And I have a right view about other people. And when I feel, when I experience your forgiveness, I'm just going to want to let other people know, not that I'm perfect, but that I found forgiveness in Christ. And so, as we come to the table, let me just give our instructions here. Paul, speaking in, he says he took bread and after he had, uh, had broken the bread, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup also. And I don't know if we have any in here. There we do. And he said, this blood is a new covenant in my blood. This, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And he said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in a sense, what we're doing is we're looking back. And I hope all of you will take a couple minutes just before we come to the table here, to look back and say, God, by way of your spirit, would you get into the elevator of my life and would you go with me to the, to the basement and to the attic and to the closets and would you help me just to identify what is it that I need to confess? You know, some people say, forgive me for all my sins. Listen, you commit them individually, you should confess them individually. And then... Let's look ahead. God, I want to experience your forgiveness so that now I can, I'll be right on your heels this next year. And I want to see others come to know that forgiveness too.